Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Jerry Marshall at Oswego Hills Vineyard and Winery. It's uh, July 31st, 2019. Thanks so much for joining us today, Jerry. Uh, We'll start by asking, why wine? Well, that's a question I ask myself every now and then, too. <laughs> uh, my uh, my wife tells me that I was uh, one of the youngest fighter pilots uh, in the Navy, and she said, we think different. You know, we kind of uh, go with the flow, kick the tire, light the fire, get the thing airborne, and go. And uh, I was flying for American Airlines for 35 years, and they force you to retire at a certain age. About three years before that came along, I had kept admiring this property because I lived right behind behind it, just about a half a half a mile from it. And I was involved in other things. I was building some houses and but flying airplanes. And uh, it kept intriguing me. And um, I had a grand, a great uncle that I grew up in a farm back in uh, Pennsylvania. It was an Amish country farm, and I was the I was most of the labor force. <laughs> had two other brothers that uh, kept getting away every chance they had and uh, continued that. But I always had a hankering to, to go back and I really enjoyed barns. I liked barn and I was architecturally uh, interested in a lot of different things. And so I kind of put the two together. And uh, But my great uncle actually retired out here with my parents. And it has something to do with him, and this was back, this was 40 years ago, 30, 30, 40 years ago, uh, was these wineries were popping up, and as an agricultural outlet for him to see what was going on, I would take him around to these budding things that were happening, and it was this wine industry. So these guys were all my age, and and, and still are, the ones that are still around. <laughs> but uh, so the seed was there, and... and uh, I had to retire, and I bought this place, and and uh, in 1996, in fact, the last day of 1996, it was an excruciating uh, program because I was had had retired uh, or not retired. She received it in a uh, in a state tumble down, and she was a uh, you know about a 65 year old hippie living in in Hawaii. Didn't even have a phone. So I finally had to, you know, grab, take hold of the, the, uh, the, the bowl by the horn, and and ended up with it the last day of the year, and all, and then uh, one of the things that was happening too, there was a, a change in, uh, in, in the, we have urban growth boundaries here in Portland. It's a big deal, and this was the first movement of the urban growth boundary was happening and. I thought it might be a, a decent bet because this was right on the mm-hmm. fringe of it. And sure enough, you know, I, uh, we got included in the urban growth boundary. And I thought, wow, that's going to work out pretty well because uh, I, I was building homes anyway a little bit, dabbling in it. And, uh, but uh, everybody sued Metro. The city sued Metro, and all of a sudden that was not going to happen. So all of a sudden I had 40 acres of of land and a bunch of buildings that uh, 
needed to find something to do with. And so it was kind of a natural progression into it. So I, I planted this vineyard the next year, uh, 1997-98, I was planting the vineyard, working on the barn. This first barn was the one that I put together to become the, not only the winery, but it's the, and it still is, it's the uh, tasting room. So here we are, uh, 20 years later, and I was basically head down, butt up for 20 years, <laughs> making this happen because I'm, you know, I'm not a deep pockets guy, but I can do a lot of things. And, and uh, we went to work, and 19 years later, I just finished it uh, uh, last year. The last project, which was that event center, which is the last barn here, because I could only use existing structures could not bring any new structures on because this is exclusive farm use land so we I, we made good choices with the help that we had for the uh, like Scott mentioned everybody's pretty accommodating when, when you are getting when you're a fledgling and I was in one of the first classes of the uh, Chemeketa operation down there on enology and, and viticulture because when I got turned away from my pursuit of the uh, of the real estate part of it and went into the farming part of it uh, I realized I don't know what I didn't know what I was doing so, <laughs> so I don't have the education that Scott has so I that's been one of my big advantages I know I need help so I went to uh, Chemeket I was in one of those first classes and in fact, one of the guys that was in it with me, he's now my vineyard manager here, and uh, he just did that hedging that you see there yesterday. He was on a tractor doing that. I was out doing the things that I do. And so it's a, it's a love of agriculture because I grew up on a farm was part of it. And here we are, and, and it's uh, kind of taken its own momentum here. Most recently, it's it's a it's a tough industry. There's a lot of uh, a lot of ways to fail in it. And we've my family is here now. My youngest daughter, they have that farmhouse there. Uh, we, that's one of the first projects we did was to get that. She, she now has five children, and her husband is a uh, pharmacist at Emanuel Hospital, and that's where they met, and that's where I met him. When I was driving past this one, this this farm one day, because we lived just on the next road, and I pointed to him, just trying to get him to know him, and I said, uh, you know, wouldn't that be a beautiful place for a vineyard? Because the the architecture here, of these structures, and the rolling hills and all that were astounding, even though it was falling apart. And uh, he said, you know, all my life I wanted to be a winemaker. I didn't even know the guy. <laughs> if you ever, if you have daughters, you, you get pretty uh, honed in on these these suitors. <laughs> well, he went up several notches right there, and here we are. Uh, what is that? Twenty, twenty years later. Twenty, probably about twenty-two, twenty-three years later, and and uh, it has matured into this, and it's a. Uh, beautiful place to live which I expected that to be and I've, I've had a uh, you know it's been a good it's been a good ride but most of these guys that are retiring now are my age and I'm just kind of getting going so I've got to have a lot of confidence in the next generation 
that they're going to be able to make it go and we have to make make it financially feasible. This is a tough business and there's a lot of competition in it. California's here and they're spending untold amounts of money. We have the, the climate going for us. Uh, like Scott had mentioned, things are getting warmer. Now it might be the beginning of another ice age, but Scott won't ever believe that. <laughs> so we don't know, but Pinot is, is, is our love. That's what we do. But we are one of the f first to really branch out, even though I'm just a kid in the industry. Uh, we, I, I have two vineyards I source from, one in the Yakima Valley, one in the Columbia Valley. And we get an, about four different varietals from each one of those. So we uh, have 16 different varietals that we make here. And you're sitting on the crush pad. This is it right here. <laughs> uh, so it, it's... Uh, it's different than most of the, the wineries around, but we're noticing, even though I'm Johnny come lately, I kind of led the, led the surge for people to understand that Pinot Noir is a great wine, but people in the valley kind of get tired of it after a while. We're not really tired of it, but you might want something else. There's a lot of other good stuff around. So that's the way we went early on, and, and we've enjoyed that as one of our trademarks. Yes, if you're going to Oswego Hills Winery, you better be poised to taste some wine. <laughs> we have some other ways you can do it too, and and now the event business is starting to pick up. It's such a such a beautiful site. So uh, yeah. So let's go back to before. Uh, talk about your decision to become a pilot. I'm curious about the decision there, and then and then kind of some of your kind of highlights as a, in a career as a pilot. Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't think things like Scott does. You know, he gets it all figured out, and then he goes. <laughs> so I was uh, in Penn State. You know, I was uh, went there to play football. Ended up being a gymnast. <laughs> you can see I'm really honed in. You know, when, when I start on something, and uh, and then uh, I, I joined a fraternity. I mean, everything's going great. I was, you know, I was a geologist major. No. <laughs> you didn't know that, did you? <laughs> yeah. Because my brothers were both engineers, civil engineers. And they bought black shoes. I had brown shoes, you know, that kind of deal. And uh, so my sophomore year, I joined a fraternity. Well, that was the downfall. I wasn't a very mature guy. And they were keeping me up all the time. And I wasn't studying like I should. And, and uh, so my brother graduated from college at the end of sophomore year. He went to Phoenix. I went with him. I said, well, I'm going out to Phoenix for a while. Well, I forgot to go back. <laughs> and my dad called me. So, okay. So I, uh, I went downtown Phoenix, went to a Navy recruiting office, and I was a physical fitness guy, as you might imagine. I was a, I, I wore rings in gymnastics. And uh, so I went to, the, uh, went to the recruiter and said, hey, I want to I wanna join. The, with the, back then, the SEALs were called the UDT, Underwater Demolition Team. I want to become a frogman. <laughs> uh, I don't want to be an officer. Well, all of a sudden, it kind of shortcut that whole conversation because, well, you got to have four years of college to be a, an officer. And I said, well, well, okay. Well, maybe I'll go someplace else. So I started walking out and I saw a poster up there. It was a Naval Aviation Cadet. And you only had to have two years of college, as it turned out, if you could pass the tests and do all this stuff. And, uh, Lo and behold, I went in to be a frogman, came out of going, going to Pensacola to be a pilot. 
And I was one of the youngest pilots in the uh, in the fighter program down there. Jumped in a brand new airplane, the old F-4B. It was a Phantom, they called it. It was, it was built for the same reason that we. Uh, well, the reason it was built was for the same threat we have with this Korean that can drop a nuke on us. Well, back then the Russians could get a nuke to us and put it in a big bomber and bring it and shoot an ICBM missile. It'd go up into the stratosphere, and then it would guide itself to some of the cities in North America. <clears throat> so it was just it was put on the on the front burner. It came out. 13 years after the Second World War, this thing flew, and it was a beast. I mean, it had uh, the biggest engines they could make at the time, and uh, what was what it was built to do, and it had good wings on high-altitude stuff, which turned out to be a good deal for low-altitude stuff, because we were, we could turn and burn, and uh, we were to get, light that stuff, take it up, to the most optimum altitude, streak it out to over Mach 2, we'd get a canopy warning light that told us things were starting to melt. <laughs> you better, you better do either pull off the throttles or do something else. And what we would do, we'd snap up and go to a uh, on the profile to shoot down this missile that would be coming in, and we wore the suits that the astronauts wore because we were going to flame out. We're up in there in, in thin air, and. Uh, that was the beginning of it all. We'd even do that at nighttime on a carrier. That was really amazing. So uh, that was it. That's how I got got going in, in the aviation part of it. And then my ice went on. It started going on me at, at the end of my Navy deal. And so I uh, realized I wouldn't be able to stay fighting back then. If you didn't have 2020, you weren't going to be in the cockpit. So I joined airlines and... <laughs> Put 35 years in American Airlines, and, and that and the rest of it kind of fell in place. And you know, the fighter pilot attitude led me into this. <laughs> Why not? So, did you did you have any ex experience with wine? I mean, did you, were you were you a fan of wine even at the, at the time you started? Here? Well, only because I was visiting these guys with my great uncle. And, uh, and it was intriguing. I, I, I kind of got hooked on, on that part of it. And I'm not the winemaker here. <laughs> I'm, I'm a farmer. I'm a farmer and a builder and, you know, financial guy, that, that type of thing. So my son-in-law is a, uh, Derek Lawrence is his name. He's a uh, trauma pharmacist at Emanuel Hospital. So he's, he's one of those pharmacists that has a bunch of little letters behind his 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 main what he is and uh, so here we are and there's uh, a bunch of us involved in it right now right now six grandchildren with this family there's a property right next to us an adjoining property that has another one of my daughters middle daughter and she has four children and so but they're they're off in the world doing their thing and uh, as they can they they were part of this while we while they were around on the property so it's been a good a good family thing too so tell me about the, the process of learning you mentioned going to Chemeca to get yeah. your grace. So tell me about the process of learning and, and when you felt sort of comfortable uh, implementing what you learned well I never felt comfortable <laughs> I, you know, I always knew I was way over here over my head but I was used to operating that way so 
it wasn't that big a challenge for me because I figured I'd figure it out somehow. Like I said, kick the tire, light the fire, get the thing airborne, let's let's go and we'll figure it out. And and people with all these good educations like Scott uh, had a guy help me to figure it all out. He's Eugene Winesellers, uh, Beal, Bruce Beal. Mm -hmm. He was helping me to figure this all out and help me plant the vineyard. And, uh, yeah, so you get good help. And Chemeketa was just starting to get its uh, professorship together. So the guys were coming out of the vineyards and out of the wineries to uh, get this thing going. So these, I was getting it, these first classes, we were getting it right from the horse's mouth. Uh, they were kind of making up the curriculum as they went. And so there wasn't any, wasn't a lot of BS. It was the real deal. So I think it was an amazing educational opportunity, even though I was still trying to figure out if the pH is number as high, is it more acidic or less? <laughs> At the end of it, so thank goodness, along came Derek, my, my son-in-law, and I don't think that guy's ever forgot anything. And uh, in fact, if I lose a tool or misplace a tool someplace, I'll call him and say, uh, you know, I, I can't find that, that particular uh, screwdriver. Say, Have you seen that? And, and it's a good chance he might have. It might have been six weeks ago. <laughs> so tell me, tell me what appeals to you about about you mentioned being a farmer. Tell me about what, what appeals to you about working. Uh, well, I'm steeped in it. I mean, I was driving a tractor before I could reach the clutch. I liked it. I, I enjoyed it. I missed it. And uh, I was doing other things, and and I enjoyed those too. But. Uh, I saw the potential of, uh, of being able to do something like this and, and uh, have, a, have the ability to pass something on. Mm -hmm. But it, I never really, that wasn't a big part of the reason for doing it. It was just another one of those evolutions of, you know, what do you do when you get up in the morning? And, and I, I don't sit around well, and I, and I knew that. <laughs> and so that's why I, I kept doing other things while... <clears throat> While I was flying airplanes, uh, it was a it was a great job, but it's kind of a. <laughs> What's appealing to you about farm and vineyard work? Well, it was in the blood. It was in my blood, dragging me back, sure. and and I finally had the opportunity to actually do it. What, did I think it would work? Oh, I didn't really think that far. <laughs> I, just, I just got up the next day and went to work, and did that for 20 years. Just finished it. Uh, about a year ago, and it, I think it turned out pretty well. And, uh, in fact, we're back into the first, well, probably the second repaint <laughs> of everything, which is an ongoing project. Yeah, but it's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful place to wake up. I'm, I'm in an old machine shed. That where we live, uh, kind of that blue door behind the blue door. If you saw the blue round top door, that used to be a big old machine shed, and uh, we really couldn't save anything, so. But I could use that foundation mm -hmm. layout, and so I did. And, and so I wake up there every morning and uh, puts a smile on my face. So tell me about, you mentioned kind of going by this property and being intrigued by it. Tell me what was intriguing about it to you, and then tell me about, about what you discovered about it as you, uh, as you purchased it and, and became interested in it. Well, you would think I would have done all the soil studies and uh, had guys like Scott out here. And, uh, and all I did was the... The the uh, 
negotiations were so tough with this this lady that owned it that uh, all my emphasis went there and lo and behold I ended up owning it kind of like that you know I said oh hey, hey now what am I gonna do <laughs> so first of all was the real estate thing and that fell apart and I realized that that was never coming back so I got serious about the agricultural part and I got more and more excited as I went and I enjoyed building and I'm pretty pretty good at it and uh, loved architecture so that was a part of what went on here also was trying to uh, make it as enjoyable to the eye as it is and I seem to have a knack for it so yeah so it was one of those things that fell in place <clears throat> I'm a Christian guy so uh, I believe that there's a higher power than me at, at work uh, keeping all, some of this stuff on the right track. So tell me about the history of, of this site thing, because you're obviously very proud of it. Oh yeah, well the, the history is that uh, the guy that put this together was in the, had a foundry in downtown Portland and he, he was, ended up in the shipbuilding business, which they were building Liberty ships up on the Columbia River. Mm -hmm. and. He had the foundry, and but the, and I'm, I I don't know if I want to put this in the archive because I've never really figured out if it's truth, but I'm I get the rumors, and they, want, they were from one of his daughters who rode the Arabian horses. So he uh, evidently did pretty well with the government, but he was positioned well. Uh, he was making capstans, and anchor parts, and all that for these ships. But they needed somebody to build, they called them coastal freighters, out of wood. And uh, so he had the stuff to hold the wood together with the, all the stuff he would make in his foundry. And, uh, and he bought this property off of uh, a guy by the name of Spousta, a Czech immigrant. And at the time it was about 125 acres, I think. And uh, he uh, turned it into a, uh, an Arabian horse operation of national prominence. And these structures are the original structures, but they were built probably by shipbuilders, shipwrights, I think they called them. And, uh, and he had un unlimited wood, and it was good wood back then. Cause they, and I think they were all made out of tuba sixes and one before us, because there's a lot of them in these structures. And I noticed because of my engineering background, or really my building background, that these things were built right. Because mm -hmm. the, they were in horrible shape when I got them, the, about 50 years of deferred maintenance. And the people that had been, they had leased it out to be a horse operation. So everybody in Lake Oswego knows about this place. Mm -hmm. They probably had a horse here. And uh, as I looked at it, surveyed it, I, they, you know, there wasn't a quarter inch deviation in any of these truss systems that they had built. Uh, and even the, the back wall of it had caved in. It was, was held up in that back barn, which became the event center. Uh, it was a real race between me and Mother Nature <laughs> to see who was going to win. So I finally just dropped what I was doing in the process and went there and did all the engineering to get that thing bastioned up so it could still be around so I could finish it off. So yeah, and I was uh, totally occupied by that, but in the meantime, we're doing the wine, winery thing, the vineyard and, and all that, and I, I love to farm. So I'm, I got several tractors and 
know what to do with them. <laughs> That's some of my best time. I'm on, I'm on my tractors and I'm out there make, doing my thing. And I, I love to farm. I even loved it when I could, couldn't even reach the clutch pedal. <laughs> now I don't even have a clutch. <laughs> Did you? Um, so that that's kind of the property thing, and and it. But one of the other interesting things was I didn't know what my terrain was. I had I had blackberries who were four to five, sometimes six feet deep, and uh, it, it is the whole place has just been let go. So I had a cat out there and for a long time breaking those blackberries down, fought them forever, and uh, put up deer fences and did all that stuff and and then realized the deer fences weren't working. Also realized that they didn't, the deer didn't like blackberries. So I started feeding my blackberries <laughs> and made, made them my deer fences. So my deer fences are now all blackberries and if you guys want to come pick blackberries sometime, we got quite a crowd. <laughs> and I don't put anything on them, so they're totally organic. Did you have a, a kind of a vision in mind when you bought it? Did you have this, this anything like this in mind when you purchased it? Uh, well, I think the vision uh, builds on itself. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, yeah, the first thing was just I needed a write-off, so I needed to learn to plant a vineyard. Mm -hmm. So when I got that, plus I had done this thing with my great uncle and uh, had been around to all these wineries and I was kind of hooked even though I didn't realize it. I really kind of enjoyed, well, I enjoyed it, but I didn't enjoy animals. I was raised on an animal farm and horses and cows and pigs and chickens and all that stuff. I, they always get sick and they, you know, step on you and do things like that. So, so uh, yeah, this spoke to me. It's a crop. I like crop farming. And then it has a, there's a certain sex appeal to it. And I, yeah, I like wine. I never thought I was going to make a living out of it, but uh, that's okay too. You know, we'll get it airborne, figure it out. <laughs> and so that's kind of how it happened. And where they're, and so it's a it's a beautiful industry to be involved in. And the people, are, uh, the product's exciting. The uh, market, there's a lot of phases to it. And uh, you have, you put on a lot of hats when you come into one of these little boutique wineries. That's uh, all the, all the uh, uh, business part and the agricultural part, and, and it's, uh, that suits my personality. So here I am. You mentioned you mentioned the event space. Uh, mm -hmm. Tell me about kind of the use of the site and how that's evolved over the years. Well, it was it was crying to be what it was because since I started fixing this barn, this was all me. I'll tell the county about it, but you know. It, all the tools and I did it all and uh, got it inspected and uh, it uh, it's a uh, it, it grows it grows but because of the use of the space all the use of space well it, it people the more I fixed it up the more phone calls I got said hey could we do this we'd like to do a birthday party we like to do a, well, a wedding and we used to do a lot of weddings right here and uh, so it it was a big building that needed to have use. Now I had planned, and I was a pretty decent architect. You should see the house plan I had for that. It was going to be my house barn, and it was just glorious. And I was excited about it. Mm -hmm. I was I was going to build a house like I'd be so happy about. But uh, 
you know, it, it had a higher and better use. It was evidently supposed to be what it became, and it did that. I mean, it's really filled that that role. And there's still more I could do, but I want to make I want to make sure it's going to start making some money before I start spending any more money. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's turned out well, and uh, people are starting to fill up the calendar, so that'll be good. So maybe it, maybe we'll be able to uh, ride out into the sunset and keep this thing here and let the next generation do their thing. That's that's the help. That's the the hope. So you mentioned that you were kind of had kind of wrapped up with the, the construction parts of things or the, the re remodeling things. Not kind uh, of. You have wrapped up. You're looking at most of the labor force of the construction. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any upcoming projects in mind then? Well, I've got them kind of backburnered right now. I'm waiting to get this thing into the green, and uh, then we'll be. There's some things that I could do to to. Uh, enhance top it off a bit but right now it's very functional it does a does a wonderful job in the events that we do one of the things we're getting more and more of are these uh, celebrations of life where people wouldn't don't mind riding out into the sunset so that's not a bad thing so you've been kind of in the organ wine industry now, you've been about 20 years or so. I'm, yeah. I'm curious what you've seen change in the industry since you've become a part of it. What have I seen change? Well, uh, the excitement level is uh, the last two years at our wine symposium, everybody was walking around giddy because we're we're starting to score right up there. Well, I mean, it was always Burgundian, mm -hmm. you know, Burgundy, France, and, and we were very thankful that they had done such a wonderful job for so long, and somehow we got a lot of that information in our programs, and uh, so now we're uh, we're even starting to play with a little. Uh, they Burgundian, we're Oregonian. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.